0: Psalm 139 is a beautiful psalm that speaks very eloquently about being known by the Lord, being known thoroughly by the Lord. One of the greatest dignities that can be ascribed to anyone in life is that they were known, that they were fully known. And all of us have ways that we project that we would like to be known. But I think the the, the greatest dignity of all represented in this psalm is being fully known and yet still fully loved. Thoroughly and completely known with, with nothing hidden and yet at the same time still safe in God. And that is how I aim to use this psalm today to turn it, this, this knowledge of us, to turn it from the threat that it is to us naturally in our instinct to hide and cover ourselves and the resistance to be exposed and to turn away from that natural instinct and embrace the reality of being known by God thoroughly as a blessing. <clears throat> But in order to embrace that as a blessing, we need some kind of covenantal context to do so. It's not our natural instinct to embrace being exposed or being known so thoroughly as a blessing. We need a covenantal context. We we need a promise. That's what a a covenantal context is. We need a, a promise that assures us that we can be both thoroughly known and thoroughly loved at the same time. There are delusions on the right and on the left in this psalm. The first delusion is that anything can be hidden from God, and many live by that delusion. God does not see, God does not know. The second delusion is that what is laid bare before God within us is nothing but good that all that God sees. That also is a delusion. 1 John 1.8 says, he who says that he is without sin deceives themselves. And the only safe path for both of these delusions, and we do, we need, a, we need a safe path in order to have the confidence that we can be fully known and fully loved. And the only safe path to that is our faith in Christ. That is the covenantal context. That is the promise which is anticipated in the text, where we can embrace the idea of search me, O God, know me, know me thoroughly, know me completely to see if there be any grievous way in me. <clears throat> in the anticipation of our Lord. Yes, it is wonderful that our bodies are wonderfully made, but more importantly, it is wonderful that His body was wonderfully made. Our Lord's body, as we anticipate Christmas, think about it when you read through Psalm 139 and read this text that his body was knitted in the womb of his mother for us. Yes, God can search us and know us, but more importantly, he was searched, our Lord was searched, and no grievous way was found in him. And so we find the promise in him that we can indeed be thoroughly known and thoroughly loved. Here's the main point that I'd like to get across this morning from the psalm. The psalm is something that will make Christ more dear to us. As we consider being fully known, making Christ dear to us as we find the freedom to be thoroughly known and thoroughly loved. And I I hope you'll recognize when we get to the last verse of the psalm, the freedom and the liberty that is in the psalmist to say to the Lord, search me and know me. The psalm begins by a declaration of divinity. It really is a psalm about God, and it declares something that is true about God and his omniscience and his omnipresence. David was preparing this song, this psalm, to be sung by the people in the temple. You may recall in reading through the Old Testament when you get to the book of 1 Chronicles that David was denied the opportunity to build the temple for the Lord. And so he did everything in preparation for the temple. So when Solomon was king, everything was ready to go. All the lumber was there, all the materials were there, all the stone was there, and all the songs were there. And the musicians were there prepared. And this is one of the songs that David prepared for the people of God to sing to one another in the worship of the temple. And in these words, David is instructing them something about God. In their singing, they were singing to one another something that was true, declaring something that is true about God. And there's nothing more important in our worship than how we think about God and our thoughts about God, that they be from God and not from our imagination. So this psalm is a declaration to the people of God that God is not anything like us. He is not anything like a creature. He is not anything like an idol that fills such a very, very small amount of space. You could could measure an idol if you bow down to an idol. If you create an idol, you make an idol, and you worship, and you bow down to it. You could measure and say, well, you fill about three cubic meters of space. Compared to the living God declared who, who fills all space. This living God has no creaturely limitation to his knowledge or to his presence. He knows all things and he fills all space. He sees all things. In the prophetic literature, there's a couple of different ways that this is described for the people to understand as as God over and over again declares to the people that that is a delusion that you think that I can't see you. And one of them is in Ezekiel chapter 2 where the prophet sees a vision of wheels. And it says that the rims were were tall and awesome and full of eyes all around. It's something that the prophet Ezekiel saw representing the glory of God, the holiness of God, the judgment of God coming down to earth represented by those eyes. Revelation chapter 4, the apostle John records in John 4:6 that he saw around the throne of the living God, four creatures, eyes in front and back, each with six wings full of eyes all around and within. A description of God's omniscience and his omnipresent. He knows all things and he fills all space. In Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah is presented with an opportunity to speak before a king, which was a, a fearful opportunity for him. And the text records that he, he prayed, so I prayed to the Lord as I spoke to the king. You can imagine Nehemiah uh, in an inaudible <clears throat> inside voice saying, Lord, help me, <laughs> as he is about to speak to the king. Do you ever pray that way? Do you ever pray on the inside? I'm sure you do. I do all the time. Lord, Lord, help. And do you ever stop? And think about it for a moment. Do you think God can hear those prayers? Do you think that God, in all of his vastness, in all of his immensity, in all of his power, in all of his greatness, in all of his uncreated non-being, that he can hear and see and know the prayers of the heart? Yes, the answer to that Prayer is, yes, a profound, and it is a profound declaration of divinity, that God is not like us. He is something entirely different from us. He knows and he sees all things. He cannot be understood on the trajectory of a creature, that this is how much space I fill and God's a lot bigger. This is how much I know, and and God's a lot bigger. He's, He's not on the trajectory of a creature at all. He is the eternally uncreated being, unlimited in power and greatness. God knows our every movement. He knows our every thought. He knows our every word. Wherever we might be traversing in the world think of Jonah. If I just get out of here, I'll be okay. If I just go to Tarshish or wherever that is, I'll be okay. The Lord won't see. Or if we're in such darkness where we can't see anything, as Peter says, don't have anything to do with the deeds of darkness. And many people live in that delusion. Well, if it's dark, nobody can see me. And the psalmist says that to you, even darkness is light. There is no darkness in God. And even the darkness of the soul, the darkness of the heart and the mind sometimes, and the perplexities that we face. And we we live, we feel like we live in, in darkness with lack of understanding. There is no darkness in God. Only light. He knows all things, he sees all things, even in the darkness or even in the grave. God sees, God knows. God's immensity, God's sheer vastness is unfathomable. And so the psalmist says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I I, I can't attain it. I can't grasp it. And rightly so, when brought into the presence of divinity. Sometimes I'm tempted when I think about God and I pray those inward, secret, silent prayers and I think about the vastness and the immensity and the sheer greatness of God. Sometimes I'm tempted to terror. at Such a being at such vastness, at such greatness. And the Lord comforts me. And I believe that awe really is a sanctified terror. That if we stand in the presence of God in awe, it is the redemption of terror. God is incomprehensible in his being. And he won't be limited by the boundaries of what we permit him to be like. He's not as we imagine him, he is as he declares himself to be. And there is in this text a profound declaration of the divinity of God and his knowledge of all things. And God's knowledge is not only described as thorough and complete, but also intimate as well. He not only knows our thoughts and our deeds, but he knows our very being better than anyone because he fashioned it, <laughs> he made it, he created it before there was even one day and knew all our thoughts. That is how intimate the knowledge of God is of us. And it is a profound declaration Of his divinity. Secondly is the abhorrence of evil that is in the text beginning at verse 19. Oh that you would slay the wicked, O God. In public use of this psalm it's often ended at verse 18 because verse 19 kind of crashes the party. In memorization of scripture Often people will memorize the first 18 verses because, well, who wants to recite verse 19? Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O Lord! How I hate them with perfect hatred. I confess that sometimes sermons without applications are more comfortable. The declarations of truth like we have in this psalm, it's nice to leave them unapplied. It's nice to not think through the implications. It's nice to be able to say, amen, this is truth, and go home without being held accountable for the implications of that truth in our lives. And that's what the psalmist doesn't allow in this psalm. To stand to be brought into the, to the presence of God, brought into the, the declaration of divinity and say, now, here's the application. If God is like this, here is the implication. And verses 19 to 24 are the applications. They are the implication of of God's greatness, of God's knowledge, of God's omniscience and his omnipresence. And this is what the implication is. That one cannot stand in the greatness of God and remain indifferent to evil. That God's presence does not allow God's presence banishes any moral apathy in God's worshipers. And consider this, uh, this declaration of truth about God, about his divinity of seeing all things, knowing all things, being in all places. It, It doesn't happen in a perfect world where all that he sees is good. It happens in a very broken world And all that defies God, all of the creatures that He's formed in the womb, and yet who say, God does not see, is from Psalm 94. God doesn't see, God doesn't know. It's all laid bare before Him. Imagine all that God sees, imagine all that God knows in His creatures. and he endures it. He knows all. He is being patient. And the psalmist not only sees it, he feels it. And he's not taking up his fight, it's God's fight. If I get to a place of indifference to evil, I believe it means that I probably know very little of the presence of God. But David's hatred is not personal vengeance. He does not say, I I hate those who hate me. He says something quite different. He says, I hate those who hate you. That's a very different thing. It's not permission to hate our own personal enemies. He says, Lord, I hate those who hate you. And he's asking God that he would judge what he can see, but yet without himself becoming the judge. Feeling that indignation, that revulsion of sin is is a necessary part of experiencing something of the holiness and the greatness of God. He's not like us. He's not as we imagine him. He is as he declares himself to be. The psalm concludes with a prayer. Search me, O God. Know my heart, try me and know my thoughts, see if there be any grievous way in me. The grievous way that the psalmist prays to be delivered from is that delusion. God doesn't see, God doesn't know. That is the grievous way. And instead of denying or being terrorized by God's examination, he instead invites it. Lord, search me. A remarkable thing. Lord, search me, know me. Of all of the different places and things in life where we desire to be known, it's a remarkable prayer. You, oh God, know me, search me. And there are words of tremendous liberty and freedom and dependence and trust in God. To entrust himself to the God who knows all things and to know that his safety is not in being hidden, but rather in being fully known. That's the lies sometimes, is that we think our safety is, is by being hidden. But here, the blessing is to be fully known. David doesn't expect to be found sinless. He says in another Psalm, O oh God, you know my folly. You know the wrongs I have done. They are not hidden from you. Rather, simply, it is a prayer of sincerity before the Lord. Lord, search me. And if there be anything that in me that resembles of the wicked, please show me. Keep me from willful continuance in sin. And thirdly, there is an anticipation of Christ that is important to get to in the text. That we not draw the lines to ourselves immediately when we read these psalms, but that we draw the line to Christ in anticipation. All of the, the psalms anticipate his life and his redemption. And then draw the line from Christ to ourself. That's a safe way to draw the lines. David's trust in God, to be thoroughly known and, and yet still safe is, is a dependence upon the grace of God that can only be found in Christ, that, comes, that does indeed come fully in Christ. And, and that is what it is like for the Christian. It'd be futile to say, to hide from the Lord and say the Lord can't see, the Lord doesn't know, when we know that the Lord does know. So where do you go from there? Well, you go to Christ and all of the grace that is given to us in Christ. It is only because our Lord was knitted together in Mary's womb. Think of those words when you hear them read in Luke's Gospel this year at Christmas where where the angel declares to Mary, you shall conceive. You shall bear a son. What's wonderful is that he was fearfully and wonderfully made. That he lived as one who God could search and find no grievous way in him so that we could be found in him, forgiven of all of our grievous ways and safe in being fully known. Would you please pray with me? Lord God Almighty, Lord, please forgive us Please forgive us when we think of you in ways that are so limited by our creaturely experience. Forgive us, Lord, when we believe lies, that we are safer when we are hidden. Thank you, Lord, for a Savior. Thank you for a body that was fashioned in a womb that would save all who trust in him. Lord, thank you that there is one who is indeed perfect, who is thoroughly known and loved because he was perfect. Thank you that through faith that you put us into that redeeming grace. Help us, O Lord, to live with these things in our life, to understand the implications that it has in living in a world that is is so broken and where so many ways are grievous to you lord help us to find our way help us please would you please breathe life into us fill us with your spirit that we would live not in our own strength and our own power but as new creatures prayed in jesus name amen